live from Chicago Dramatists. You're listening to Small Fish Radio Theater and Thespinarium. We're your hosts, Herzovi and Green. Sharing their talent with us again are our very own wenches of word wizardry. Miss Kitten. And... Joy Thorbjornson Coates. Also with us this evening's special guests, Eric Hetman and Max Everard. Smallfish Radio Theater and Thespinarium is here to give voice to emerging artists, those small fish in the big pond. Emerging playwrights. Poets. Storytellers. And musicians, as well as a few writers who are well on their way. Tonight, Smallfish Radio presents a live recording of their latest podcast... Uh, Grizzly Feast, a collection of tales in the spirit of this season of the macabre. Tales that will consume your mind. As well as a few bodies. On the platter, three short plays plus... A horrific episode of The Adventures of Skater Girl. A song by Jim Gustafson. A story by Richard Ballin. And to start us off, a poem. Who wrote it? It says here... T is for Thomas, who writes morbid stories. Visit Thomas.com to read all his glories. Here's Lullaby for My Little Boy by Tom Mizraka from Tarzana, California, read by Ms. Kitten and accompanied by Max Everard and Green. And listen to the words that must be said. I've come to warn my darling boy of the beast <coughs> beneath his bed. This monster has 100 heads with tentacles like vines on little boys and teddy bears. This abomination dies. If any part of you survives, it will not make it past the creature in the closet who's twice as big and fast. A ferocious furry feline whose claws will tear to shreds those little boys and teddy bears who dare to leave their beds. There's no escape for outside, here's the horror in the hallway. An evil creature of the night who's craving some new prey. He's tasted blood and he wants more. His fangs will pierce the eye of little boys and teddy bears. He hungers to suck dry. Shadows in the night will hide the killer in the kitchen. It's been so long since he's taken life for a killing he is itching. In the darkness of the room, this man will wait all night to slay little boys and teddy bears by refrigerator light. The demon in the den is there to haunt our living room. This tenant from the depths of hell will be the bringer of your doom. <laughs> It will possess your mind and soul, twisting with precision. Little boys and teddy bears sneaking out for television. Now, my son, you know the truth. No safety's in these walls. 
walls. Monsters lurk most everywhere in the closet, den and halls. One of them will take your life before you count your sheep. So little boys and teddy bears should try to get some sleep. Because that poem, you know, I could do without all the monsters, frankly, because when I was a little girl... Oh, you know, when I was a little girl, we went and saw The Ghost and Mr. Chicken with Don Knotts, and I was so terrified that I slept on the floor of my parents' bedroom for a week. <laughs> well, I was never afraid when I was young. <laughs> and I was never young. But um bum All right, enough folderol, people. Our first play of the evening, The Late Mrs. Chadwick by Phoebe Roberts. Phoebe is a Massachusetts-based playwright who emerged from the subterranean depths of her sunless hermitage for this. She hopes it is worth it for you. <laughs> that is a statement, friend. That is a four-time championship team you're talking about. I see the team is aging out of their skills. Their lineup has not changed in far too long. I say, Chadwick, did you hear something? Mm, beg pardon? Apologies, nothing, old boy. You were saying? Yes, well, they've got to get some new blood in there. 36 isn't absurd, but there are no spring chickens when it comes to test cricket. You... Shrewsbury, are you quite all right? Uh, forgive me, old friend, but what was that? What was what? <gasps> Are you aware there seems to be some sort of spectral lady thing floating around your parlor? Oh, yes. Good of you to notice. That is my late wife. Your late wife? Oh, yes. Matilda. She's recently taken up residence in the house again. <sighs> uh, I see, but if I might ask, how can that be, given that Matilda is... What's the polite word? Dead. Oh, yes, in a freak croquet accident on the front lawn. Very tragic. I recall. Uh, but it seems that somehow, in the great beyond, word reached Matilda about my recent remarriage. As far as anyone can deduce, she is so distraught over the news that she's crossed back over to the material plane in order to seek eternal vengeance from beyond the grave. But please don't let it trouble you. Oh, hardly noticed. Another cup, old friend. Please. On second thought, that's enough for me. Quite right. And what does the, shall we say, living Mrs. Chadwick think? Well, between you and me, old boy, I will confess that she's not entirely pleased with the whole arrangement. Oh, the poor dear. Apparently, Matilda sees fit to take out the whole sad business on her by vowing to haunt and torment her through this world and beyond until the fires of Judgment Day. <laughs> How unfortunate. You have my sympathies, Arthur. Uh, thanks very much. <laughs> These things are sent to try us. 
Where is your wife at the moment? Well, Hermione's found it a bit vexing to remain in the house for long periods, what with the flying crockery and uh, Matilda's propensity for setting fire to her hair. Looked rather like a Christmas pudding, she did. Well, that's quite understandable. I rather thought so. So my dear girl's dedicated herself to having Matilda exorcised. I say, exorcised? I believe that's the term. You know, banished, returned to the great beyond. For my edification, what is the process for such a banishment? In case any of my dear departed relations also elect to make a return visit. I'm afraid we are still in the process of figuring that out. Lord knows we've tried a few things. Oh, with no success, I take it? Uh, Not as such, no. First, we rung up one of those, what do you call them, mediums who commune with the spirit world. Oh, yes, they're very entertaining at parties. Uh, To be sure, but this one seemed to have difficulty effectively uh, communicating with Matilda. Ah... I suppose I can't criticize. It was a feat I had yet to achieve myself in five years of marriage to her. (laughs) Well, perhaps you could find a more diplomatic one. Perhaps, but the whole affair left Matilda quite cross, and I'm not inclined to weather that again, what with the blood weeping down the walls and all. Most troublesome. And then there was the woods witch, who made a terrible mess of the drawing room with all those goats she sacrificed. Oh, I can imagine. It's all driven Hermione to become quite desperate. At the moment, she's gone down to St. Swithin's to ask assistance from the pastor. St. Swithin's? Your Hermione set foot among the papists? Shocking, I know, but the poor thing's quite determined. I understand they've some protocols in matters of uh, peasant superstition. I suppose they would. One does hear all those terrible stories of priests with their heads all spun about on their necks, though. Indeed. Bad enough that the neighbors see them coming in the house without their leaving unpleasant corpses. Still, I'm afraid we're rather out of options. I say, Chadwick, that sounds rather terrible. Uh, I've come to know that sound quite well. I believe it's the screaming of the servants. Excuse me a moment. Oh, yes, indeed. She set the kitchen on fire and released the horses from the stables. Oh, I do hope she hasn't barricaded the door this time. I couldn't bear to have to restart again. Quite the affinity for pyrotechnics, hasn't she? Forgive me, friend, but I'll have to run off for a ticket to handle this. Can I be of any assistance? Oh, don't trouble yourself. Please, stay at your ease. If you insist, sir. I won't be a moment. Oh, madam. That's quite a lot you've been up to, isn't it? Would you care for a cup of tea?
So that Chadwick story, that is also why I do not care for ghosts. Ghosts only want attention. That's usually why they're there, to get your attention, why there's probably hundreds of ghosts in front of you every day. There's don't a couple say, of them back there. Don't say that. Yeah. Stop it. I bet every empty seat has la, a ghost. La, la, la. I am yeah, not listening. Right I'm in front listening. of you, there might be a ghost. And you know, now it's time for that ghostly, creepy organ chord. Speaking of evil that lurks right under your nose, it's time for our meaningfully meaningless minute. A piece of odd information. That may or may not change your life. You know, it could be true. It could be an urban legend. You could always follow up on it if you care to. All we know is we heard it, we read it, and we found it meaningful. As well as meaningless. Today's minute concerns a monster that can be found in your own backyard. The one and only Specius Speciosus. A.K.A. Cicada Hawk. Or Cicada Wasp. Ew! You've seen a Cicada Wasp, haven't you? It's about the size of a B-52, and it flies over you next to you. You look like you're being attacked, but you're not, but it's just so it's scary. It's got a big old thorax and the sticking out on the back. And it's yeah. really, really real. You can find them on YouTube. If you're a cicada like me, you best beware There's a monster Flying around Out there Oh boy Cicada killers Queens come to town Oh no She's gonna sting you Drag you underground And it gets worse after that. Yes, it gets worse. Cause when she stings you, you're paralyzed and can't move. Duh. I can't move. You poor cicada. Oh, you've met your doom. And you ain't leaving this dirty tomb Cicada killers The queens come to town Oh no She's gonna sting you Drag you underground It's dark in here Larva from my thorax and buries you alive. Something's itchy. Two days later, your grubs are snacking on your eyes. Ooh, not my eyes. They start chewing on your flesh. Tastes like chicken. They love cicada. Eat your dinner. Especially when it's fresh. Cicada killers, they come to town. They're everywhere. The queen's gonna sting you. 
underground. Oh, I can't even see what's eating me. That was so... Absolutely horrid. Poetic. What is poetic about a giant wasp torturing a helpless, albeit super gross, cicada? No, 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 no. It's just nature's way. Nature has no compassion, no remorse. Everybody's got to eat. On to another alternative food source. The next play... The Skinny Man by Chicago playwright Scott T. Barsati. Scott loves to eat, but doesn't get hunger pangs, for which he's thankful for, because nothing is scarier than a really, really, really hungry person. down here. Uh-huh. See anything? Um, dead mouse, dead roach, dead roach. Oh, live mouse, live mouse. Oh, that's gross. Okay, that's just gross. <laughs> yeah, you take a look back there. I'll look over here. All right. Man, this lady's basement goes on forever. You ever seen anything like this, Booty? It's like a maze. You've been out here a bunch of times, right? Yep, but never down here. You ever hear these screams the neighbors call about? No, the lady here lived here said she never heard them either. Weird that the neighbors are still hearing screams. Hey, Vix! What? What is it? Come back here. I think I found something. This wall. Look at it. It's a different color here. It looks newer. Patched up. Sounds hollow. Well, you think there's something there? See any tools lying around? I saw a pickaxe leaned up in the other room. Get it for me. Wait, just a second. Ugh, smells worse over here, that's for sure. There you go. Thanks. Stand back. Ah, <coughs> <coughs> oh. 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 oh, there's definitely something here, Vix. Can you see anything? Uh-uh. Shine your flashlight in there. <coughs> yeah, what is that? What do you see? Looks like it's a bed. A bed? Yeah, weird. It. Oh, my God. Uh, give me the flashlight. What? What is it? There's someone in the bed. Ah, what? Oh, what? what is it? Oh, freaking cockroaches are getting on me. Oh, sick. Jesus Christ, man. Don't do that. Oh, I hate those things. I don't understand why there is such a thing in the world. Yeah, well, maybe you're not supposed to understand. Yeah, right. Maybe I'm just supposed to squash them. <sighs> I'm going to open the hole a little more. Watch it. <clears throat> Here, lean this up over there. Yeah. <coughs> I, uh, I think I can squeeze through. Hand me that flashlight again. Oh, don't you have yours? Yeah, I just like yours better. Mine sucks. There we go. Oh. Wow. What? There's someone in the bed, all right. Who is it? I don't know. He's dead, though. Big time dead. Oh, it stinks. It's him. Come on through. If I can fit, you can fit. Hey, what are you trying to say? <laughs> Just get in here. Oh, 
oh, you need about two dozen bug bombs down here. It's gross. You want to see gross? Look at him. Whoa. He's practically a skeleton. You think he was the one screaming, Boot? He couldn't be. This guy looks like he's been dead for months. Yeah. What the hell's he doing down here? Your guess is as good as mine. Who do you think he is? Her husband or her son or something? You think the old lady was, like, holding him captive? Captive? Like holding him prisoner. Look, his wrists and ankles are tied to the bedposts. People do crap like that. Maybe he was abusive. Knocked her around one time too many, and she finally got sick of it and just tied him up in the dark to rot. Mm, rot he did. He's emaciated. Look at the eyes. He looks like a, like a mummy without the wrappings. Oh, his <laughs> lips freak me out. Look at them. All pulled tight and chapped, all torn up. And what's all this stuff at the foot of the bed? It looks like a ritual. And what are these little trinkets? Vicks! What? Um, crime scene, don't touch it, put it back. Hey, look at the markings on the wall, too. It looks like witchcraft or something. How long do you think he's been down here? Uh, hard to say. The old lady vanished uh, a week ago, but he's definitely been down here way longer than that. Poor guy. Well, the neighbors said they heard screaming this morning, right? Could he have possibly just died today? I guess it's possible. That's pretty bad luck, huh? Uh, I can't even imagine life like that just slowly wasting away its torture. He's probably better off. Uh, let's call it in and get out of here. That new Karin is a nut job. He'll be all geeked to get this guy at his table. Wait. What is it? Look. What are we looking at? His chest. What about there. it? It moved. Watch. Holy mother. You're right. Is he alive? Check his pulse. You check his pulse. I don't want to touch him. Fine. Fine. How could he still be alive? There's nothing left of him. Oh, my God. He's breathing. Definitely he is. Unbelievable. I'll watch him, Booth. You go call for an ambulance. I'm going. Bring a can of Raid, too. <laughs> Sir? Sir? Can you hear me? Sir, if you can hear me, try to open your eyes. Oh, my God, look at your eyes. You look like you haven't seen daylight in years. Poor bastard. What, what? What's that? Sir, are you trying to speak? Oh, Jesus. Conserve your energy, sir. Help is on the way. So hungry. Everything will be all right, sir. I'm a police officer. My partner is outside radioing for help. So hungry. I know you are, sir. Jesus, you must be. We'll help you. We'll get you to a hospital. So hungry. I know, sir. I know. Try to calm down. So hungry. Sir, my partner is right outside. She's calling for help. So hungry. Please, just calm down before you hurt yourself more. So hungry. Sir, please. Yeah, a mummy without the wrappings is what I said. It's unreal what this guy looks like. That ambulance on its way. What the hell was that? What the hell's happening? 
on, work. I just put new batteries in this thing. Vix, you're back there. Vix, where are you? Greg! Oh no, where'd he go? Greg, he's out of the bed. Greg, where are you? That creep is out of the bed. This is so messed up. Vix, answer me. Ah, friggin' roaches, get off of me! Vix? Oh my god. So hungry. Get away from him. Get away from him now. Put your hands behind your head. So hungry. You have to the count of three to step away from him. So hungry. One. So hungry. Two. So hungry. This is your last warning. Ah! <sighs> Shit. Work. Work, please. Come on. Where are you? Did I get you? Where did you go? Where are you? Where the f- So hungry. So hungry. I'm going home. Oh, he's not a cannibal if he's not a human in the first place. It's a lot more fun if she thinks he is. Hey. <laughs> I am not the one who's afraid of chickens. Oh. I bet you don't even like dolls. Well, there's nothing scary about dolls. Oh, you want to bet? I was on a blind date once. Woman had about 500 dolls in her house. Living room, kitchen, bathroom, bedroom. Seriously? Seriously, it was creepy. Next on the plate, a story by Richard Ballin from Amherst, Massachusetts. Richard loves raking words into piles. And sometimes, just sometimes, he snags something that won't let go until the story is told. September again, and I was raking the yard, getting those leaves that enveloped beneath the bushes when my rake snagged and I yanked it up. The fabric was as dirty as the muck of the leaves, but you could see the tiny dress and the little legs swinging. It was a child's doll right beneath my bedroom window, a doll with no head. It looked like it had been sawed off quite recently and the new cut ran jagged. I held it slightly away from my shirt and when the wind picked up, the little legs kicked. My dog was running in excited circles, yipping, thinking I was going to toss it. 
put the dog in the garage, grabbed a spade, and walked to the tree line. I wanted to bury it. There was no one around. My place is huge. You can't even see the neighbors. I looked back at the house. Someone had been looking in the window, my window, where I sleep. Was it Tammy? Tammy was my kid sister, two years younger than me. We didn't get along too well when we were little. She always had this prissy 10-year-old, can't you ever do it right air, which drove me nuts. When we were riding on the highway on the new Route 128 on the way to Wiggersheek Beach, I grabbed her doll, her favorite one, the one that cried and needed to be changed, the one she always cooed to, and threw it out the window. I remember the look in my father's raccoon eyes in the rearview mirror, and then the screech of brakes behind us. The doll bounced off the windshield of one car, then another. My dad pulled over, and while they were exchanging insurance papers, my mom waded through the traffic to get the doll. They would not look at me. All I remember was the little O of my sister's mouth. It stayed like that for days. Her eyes seemed to glass over like her doll. It was so creepy. She once lined her dolls up outside my door and wrote a note with my mother's lipstick, the letters all crooked like teeth, and it said, they'll always watch you. They know what you've done. 27 years, and she never spoke another word to me. Yesterday, the dog came running to me with a ball. He's never learned to fetch proper, and as always, I had to pry it out of his teeth, slick with his saliva, until I noticed the matted hair. It was the head of a doll. I just stared at it for a long time while the dog snaked its way around my legs waiting for me to throw it. Its tooth had punctured the cheek and one of its glass eyes was missing. It had that hole in its mouth where you'd place a bottle to make it wet itself. Round like the O of my sister's mouth. I dropped it and ran. My dog picked it up and chased after me. We ran like that for miles. I burned it in the fireplace, but this morning I could see its sooty eye winking at me from the grate. You see, my sister Tammy died three weeks ago. My parents aren't talking to me because I didn't go to the funeral. I'm no hypocrite. But in her will, she wanted to be buried with one of her dolls, the one that was missing an eye. You can't. Just watch me. But we're up next. I don't care. Oh, come on. We have to read the letters. Oh, no more ghosts, I promise. No lying. No lying. Hmm. Well, 
welcome to the next installment of the Holy Mackerel School of Etiquette. Where you write us, sisters, kitten and joy, and we help you navigate your stickiest of social situations politely and permanently. Our first letter has a simple solution. It reads, Dear Miss Mackerels, I sometimes don't know what to say to my new girlfriend. When we go strolling in the full moonlight, she becomes very agitated and looks at me very strangely. Two of her front teeth become longer, her fingernails lengthen and sharpen, and she becomes obsessed with kissing my neck. It's so distracting. How can I keep up polite conversation? Signed, Speechless. Dear Speechless, while we realize love can make us blind, our simple advice to you is... Run away before it's too late. <laughs> our next letter comes from Hannah Fodder. Hannah writes... Dear Miss Mackerels, what's the best way to politely get a loaned item back? My neighbor borrowed my chainsaw over a month ago and still hasn't returned it. And now I have dogwoods that need pruning. I've tried dropping tactful hints in conversation, but with no luck. How can I approach this without starting a bloodbath? Dear Miss Fodder, first, I would send your neighbor an invitation to dinner. Ask him to bring the chainsaw that you've got some uh, wood that needs cutting, and you're just not strong enough to do it. Go out and buy a hockey mask. Doll it up with some lipstick and earrings. Then cut off the power supply to both your houses. Disconnect the phone lines. Run a bath. Leave the front door wide open. When you hear your guest arrive, scurry behind the bathroom door, but not before you've gotten your trusty meat cleaver. Then, as you hear him climb the stairs, start chanting something like murder, spelled backwards. <laughs> when he arrives at the door, jump out from behind it and scream. <laughs> Not only will he drop that chainsaw, he'll never ask to borrow so much as a cup of sugar from you ever again. Thank you, thank you. If you have a question to send to our Miss Mackerels, email them to holymackerel at smallfishradio.com. You mean the guy doesn't even get dinner? I know, right? I should give the guy dinner when he's been keeping my chainsaw? Oh, all this talk of food. You know, uh, we're all going over next door for pizza after the show, so you're welcome to join us. You're coming along, right? right? Yeah. yeah, Green is hungry. Shocker. Well, here's a song that ought to kill your appetite for now. Flattened Fauna Bar and Grill by Jim Gustafson. Jim Gustafson's choice of personal transportation is a classic 1978 MGB because its trunk is the same size as a Weber grill. This is indispensable for his volunteer work as a chef and driver for Meals on Wheels. Have you ever been down south? I mean Mississippi south? Where the roads ain't paved and there's real dark nights and animals freeze in your car headlights. 
They don't run, they just stand their ground till you smack them with that awful sound. Oh. If you ever find yourself down that way, you gotta check out this small cafe. It's a place where I once stopped to dine and now you're gonna hear this tale of mine. One, two, three, four. When a woodland creature crossing the street and speeding car eventually meet, you got the fixings for a swampland treat that's flat and fauna. Good to eat. Poot by you spice and a deep fried batter over anything. Heck, it don't matter. To make what they call swamp gourmet, serve with culinary skill at the flat and fauna. Bar and grill. I'll never forget that fateful night when I thought I'd stop for a drink and a bite. Sign said swamp cuisine, piping hot as I pulled into the parking lot. Bearded man, strong and heavy, knelt in front of a banged up Chevy. Come on in, he said. Eat your fill. Then he pried some critter from his auto grill. One, two, three, four. Grab your chair and lock and load. Got our menu from the road. Set a spell and eat your fill. At the flat and fauna. Bar and grill. Grab a table, lots of seating, these roadside critters, them's good eating. Everything's fresh today, my man. Then he tossed that carcass in a frying pan. Now the place was clean with a homey feel, so I figured I'd get a home-cooked meal. Mama, the owner, kept it neat. Here at the flattened fauna, stop and eat. Well, I grabbed a table and I sat down, but before I could even look around, Billy Bob, this enormous guy, walked on over and caught my eye. You want to drink some river swill? Got some fresh from Daddy's stale. Goes easy, sweet and clean. Tastes like Amoco gasoline. I didn't have time to say no thanks for Billy Bob came to close the ranks. Tipped a giant earthen jug so he could fill my coffee mug. His toothless grin said, You better drink. Oh, well, it wasn't as bad as you might think. Had a real pungent taste. We brew it up from toxic waste. Then Billy Bob pulled up a chair. He's a hulking man with an icy stare. You know, my mama's quite a cook. He bellowed with a killer's look. Around these parts that ain't polite, if you don't eat up, everybody, make my happy, don't tempt fate, shout out, buddy, clean your plate. I didn't order, they just brought me food, I wasn't gonna argue cause of Billy Bob's mood. I couldn't leave, so I sat real still, and stuffed myself at the flattened fauna, bar and grill. One, two, three, four. Grab your chair and lock and load. Got our menu from the road. Set a spell and eat your fill. Get the flat and fauna. Bar and grill. I had possum, frog, and squirrel, and things that make your eyebrows curl. Turtle, skunk, and gator steak. Weasel, fox, and rattlesnake. Billy Bob smiled and Billy Bob grinned when I finally got my second wind. Then came rabbit, raccoon, rat, and mole, and mama with a great big bowl. 
Billy Bob looks and then he sighs. Mama's brung a real surprise. What have we here? Oh, you're just too kind. What gourmet treat did you just find? We call it stew, and that's because don't really know what it used to was. Could be otter, can't be sure. Let's just call it Swamp de Jure. I sat for hours and ate and ate. Billy Bob smiled as <clears throat> I cleaned my plate. <laughs> Finally, I said I'd had my fill. His smile turned to a look to kill. He sprung to his feet and he ran away. I folded my hands and I began to pray. Then he returned with a bag and a knife. My mind had flashbacks of my whole life. Billy Bob smiled and then nodded twice. I was about a bag of mice. Later on, if you want to reload, they're great for snacking when you're on the road. He took that knife and he slit the sack and he showed me his savory travel snack. Nothing like a fresh fried mouse in your dinner, buddy. On the house. Oh, I sighed a sigh and I grabbed the bag, though the thought of mice was enough to gag. Thanks, Billy Bob, you're a connoisseur, I called as I ran to the door. I got in the car and I said a prayer. I gunned the engine to get out of there. A truck pulled in as I drove out. Over my shoulder, I heard the driver shout. Hey, Billy Bob, turn up the fire. Then he scraped a skunk from his left front tire. <laughs> One, two, three, four. Grab your chair and lock and load. Got our menu from the road. Cook that carcass from the street. At the flat and fauna, drink and eat. Set a spell and eat your fill. At the flat and fauna. I ate possum once. Oh. Well, you know, I uh, I happen to like rabbit stew. And I'll say one thing, you know, this song, it just made me more hungry. Oh, well, let's have some Lutefisk. Lutefisk, oh. yes. yes. There's nothing like codfish they... with lye yeah, really lie. make your Halloween special. Well, you know it's clean, I guess. Right? It's good. Yeah, it's, it really is good. It's just really good. It is. It, I know you know. I know I could go for a nice leg of mutton right about now. Oh, mutton. Right, it's time for our next play. The Curse of the Horned Babby by Lisa Dillman. Chicago playwright Lisa Dillman is mostly known for her ghoulish goulash recipes, which is designed to scare the pants off even the most intrepid of dinner guests. And don't look now, but she is sitting right behind you. First, there come a plague of flies. Then flocks of backwards flying geese. Next come the fever in the well. And then, after every omen was plain exhausted, there come the babby. The cursed. Horned. Babby. <laughs> Good morrow, townsfolk. I am a wandering minstrel of poetic tendency. Have you a colorful tale of local intrigue to share? 
one that I might set to the music of mine lute in exchange for victuals and a bed for the night? <laughs> the dirty bugger wants a bed, does it? <laughs> um, I. And a tail. <laughs> Forgive her, stranger. She knows naught of the world beyond the gates of Grunterville, but a tale we do have. Oh, aye, and such a tale. Well then, spew it forth, staunch mother, as my stomach rumbles mightily. Yes, commence, cobbler's wife. You've always had such a fine way with the telling of the tale. Ah, oh, for sure. Well, if you insist, once upon a time in our village, the wee peaceful hamlet of Grunterville. Once upon a time in Grunterville fair. Grunterville, named for the Grunters who owned the mill. And the alehouse. And the apothecary. The blacksmith shop. The taxidermist. And all yonder fields and valleys as far as the eye could see. A noble family they was. Were. Was? Aye! Their coat of arms, a resplendent knight in armour, squatting behind a flaming bush. They lived on yonder hill in a grand palace made of stone. In a palace on a hilltop did the Grunters dwell, a palace all of stone. Mm. Mm. But not just any stone, twere a special stone. Called a grunter block. Dredged from yonder river. But you may be sure no grunters e'er touched them stones. Twere the villagers as hauled them up from yonder's river bottom. A goodly stone, though, to be sure. Aye, aye, a goodly stone, but... Cursed, as ye know, for twere the cursed spawn of the cursed Grunters as brought ruin down upon Grunterville. I were but a wee girl at the time. Uh, a young maiden, a sixty summer, so you were, crone, so you were, and I but a young cobbler's wife. Your mister did fashion the stout brogans worn by all Gruntervillians. A well-shod hamlet we were, thanks to me sweeties, Grunterville booties. Local footwear, lovely. Your old fellow was only an apprentice at the time, were he not, Baker's wife? Aye, with many a crusty loaf yet to be baked. A well-fed hamlet we were, thanks to me. Sweeties Grontoville hot cross buns. Oh, uh, and his cupcakes, too. Mm. Good times they were. Carefree times. Were they not lucky they had them? Good times. We knew not how happy we were. Hey, nonny, nonny, hey, nonny, nonny, hey. But then the wee babby did come. <laughs> A boy child, born to Lady Grunter upon the hill. Who the father was, they wouldn't say. But a fine clue there was, for it had a horn right in the middle of its wee babby forehead. Singing, hey ho, the horn in the head. Twere hideous. <laughs> Twere hideous to behold. Though none of us e'er beheld it, not up close. Nay, but didn't I hear from the wet nurse up there on the hill that the horned babby fair bit off her nipple? And then gave her a wee smile and a wink. It was that wink that put the chill in her. Vile and terrible that babby were. Head like a great melon with a horn sticking out from it like the devil himself. The great fat boneless legs on him and his cry like the yowl of a banshee. <laughs> a comely wet nurse, her luscious teats did bear. <laughs> 
Wasn't I sleeping of a night on my thin straw pallet when in flies the baby and tries to pull me nightdress up over me head? You never told that part before. I'm just now recollecting it. Seems a strange thing to leave out, what with the horned babby flying and all. Now, I heard of it dragging itself along the town road, and, and I heard of it rolling down yonder hill. I even heard of it floating on its humpy back up and down the river or shimming its way up a drain pipe, but I never heard it could fly. The spot of the devil, and you're saying it couldn't have fly. I'm saying it's news to me is all. None but the grunters here saw the babby up close. Don't forget the way Gazongas like rosy apples, they were a righteous pair indeed. <laughs> and now this crone is claiming not only did she see the babby up close, but he came flying into her chamber, grabbing it as stringy old what's it. So you're saying it didn't? Huh? I'm saying it's right perplexing, you know, I mentioned it afore. Oh, fair wet nurse, where hast thou gone in thy lovely hooters twain? May hapst were but a dream, crone. Twin a dream? The baby come to me, flapping its great pudgy arms, puckering up its wee rosebud mouth, and clawing at me nighty. And so, what then? Aye, what did ye do? First, I fought him. But he were too strong for me, the hell baby from the pit. I cannot say what happened after that. Sure, didn't I fall over in a dead faint at the sight of him? And who could blame ye, crone? Now, was this before or after you was grappling with him? Eh? Let me reconstruct this terrifying scene. There you were, sleeping like an angel. All of a sudden, in flies the horned babby, snatching at your bed garments and so on. You wake, gasp, horrors. And was it then that she grappled with him, or did you faint dead away first and grapple a bit later? If ye knew even the first thing about the horned no, babby... the man or beast has ever seen what's under your filthy nighty. I know that for a fact. So you're calling me a liar, do ye? I call it wishful thinking, I do. I? 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 I, I said I, damn your eyes. How'd you know the babby didn't fly, cobbler's wife? How do you know it did? Baker's wife. Crone allows is how she's seen it with her own eyes. And it done a strike you as strange. It's the first we've heard of it. I told you it slipped me mind. Tell me, good harpies, does the wet nurse still bide in these parts by any chance? <laughs> and beg pardon, but where are all the men in the village? Gone. Poor souls. The curse. Aye. Aye. I see. The curse stole away all your menfolk. Aye. Aye. The curse of the horned babby. Aye. Aye. And exactly whither didst the babby take them? Eh? Whither didst the babby spirit your menfolk off to? Was it the pit of hell? Nay, nay. Did it drown them in the river? Nay, not that, minstrel. Well, what happened to them? They didn't just disappear. The babby ate them. Aye, chewed off their limbs, sucked out their blood in their entrails, and picked its teeth with their poor splintered bones. And used their hair for flossing. Uh-huh. 
And yet no one actually ever witnessed these events? Not up close. Such a vision of catastrophe, why to it blind the eyes out anyone who looked upon it? Right. Well, I think I've enough to go on. Once I've supped and had a draught of good wine, I shall sing for ye the ballad of this poor, tragic village. Um, yes? We've no wine to speak of, the baby cursed our vines. Well, bring me a tender shank of mutton and some new potatoes. Then shall I immortalize Gruntville with a song most fair. Off you go. Um, the town flock expired some years back. Don't tell me. The babby. Aye, that's it. The babby. The potatoes, then? Gnarled and rotted in the earth where they lay. Again, the babby. Could it be your menfolk simply starved to death? They was consumed alive by the babby. Every last mother's son of them. Very well. It seems I shall have no supper, but ye shall hear my ballad, and then shall ye become acquainted with thyselves. Years ago in Grantville Fair, a flock of poppies their men did tear. From limb to limb, their parts to share. To sing of it now, I can barely bear. Sing hey, naughty, naughty, hey, naughty, naughty, hey. Once they'd brought their husbands down They claimed a baby cursed their town They blamed the baby for it all And for every grievance, great and small Their twisted minds dreamed up a curse They even butchered a sweet wet nurse Sing hey naughty naughty Somehow, thy village lacks both sheep and cow, nor any men folk dropping trow. You're all alone, your wounds will rot. That's all will come of this foul blood. Sing hey, naughty, naughty, hey, naughty, naughty. Yeah.
the baby was flying that time, cobbler's wife. So it was, Baker's wife. So it was. Apologies, Crone, for ever doubting your word. I told you. Where were we? First, there came a plague of flies. Then flocks upon flocks of backwards flying geese. Next come the fever in the wind. And then after every omen was plain exhausted. But not before the arrival of the ill-fated minstrel. There come the babby, the cursed, horned babby. to the next episode of The Adventures of Skater Girl. The journey of our heroine, who was born with a very old heart in her very young body. And strives to keep her heart and the hearts of others beating by adding items to her bucket list. In our last episode, Skater Girl and the Carp met a handsome young man named Johan on the highest ledge of a tall building. Johan was waiting to fall because he had lost his keys and was near paralyzed without them. Except, of course, for the metronome ticking in his hand. Turns out this metronome keeps Skater Girl's old heart beating in time like this. Adding Johan's lost keys to her list of things to find, Skater Girl and Johan seal the deal with a kiss. She hoists him and the carp on her back, and we join them still climbing back down the building as a dark storm cloud approaches. It's also important to remember that both Johan and Skater Girl were bitten by the angry inchworm bites, which are swiftly spreading. As Skater Girl climbed down the building with Carp and Johan on her back, the big black storm cloud grows closer and the bites from the inchworm grow larger. Soon, certain realities come to be recognized, like what kind of building we are on. We're almost to the bottom. You can do it. You've got to get that bite looked at. What about yours? It's nothing, really. If I could catch my breath for one second... I feel frighteningly close to expiring. No, to catch breath must keep moving. Breath will get too far ahead of you. What is this building? It sure has a lot of windows. Look, that man hooked up to all those machines. Oh, so he is. Oh, look there, a woman and a baby. Two babies. I sure hope their hearts were born the same age as they are, not old like mine. Look, there, something important going on. People in white coats running. Someone must be dying. That's usually why people in white coats run. <sighs> must hurry. Black cloud almost upon us. And a skater girl makes her way down building. We join the old man and grandma who sit under a tree and do not yet know that they are in grave danger. 
Angry inchworm is hovering over grandma's head, waiting to strike. So shall we begin reading? I don't feel like reading today. It's that big black cloud over there. Something is amiss. Well, we could do the other kind of reading. You know, the, the kind of reading where we uh, <laughs> pretend we're reading. <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> ah! Oh! Oh! I, I can't watch such a display! It's horrific! At their age, the wretched fools, their distasteful embrace will be their undoing! Geronimo! Oh! Whatever is that cascading from your hair? Oh, grab it! I, I don't like bugs in my hair. Oh. Why, it's merely an inchworm. No, he's adorable. I am not adorable. I'm a sinister, villainous monster. He has an awfully big... <gasps> wow, you little varmint. Mouth. He bit me. Took a chunk right out of my nose. Oh, so he did. Oh, you should wash. Oh, too late now. Whatever venom he has bestowed upon me seems to be infesting me at an alarming rate. Oh, my goodness. Oh, look at it spread. Oh, where has the little bugger gone? I can't find him. And little did she know, I have retreated to the blue waves of her hair, hoping to catch a ride to the next set of victims. I'd give her a bite for good measure, but she smells rather odd. We must mount an expedition to find him before he bites again. Oh, but your bite... We need to have it looked at. You're no spring chicken, after all. And that bite seems to be getting the best of your nose lickety-split. It will be <coughs> fine. Oh, dear. Oh, still, still breathing. Oh, I'll have to carry you then. And the grandma hoists the old man onto uh. her back and runs in the direction of the tall building, just as Skater Girl and her friends make it to the ground. This bite on my arm is killing me. Mine is on fire. Perhaps a kiss would help? Perhaps. Clear! <laughs> wow. That was quite a kiss. It even made a sound. That should hold us for a bit. Perhaps you should get bites looked at. Go inside. Inside? This building. The hospital. Hospital? Oh. Hospital? And as the truth opens our eyes to where we are. Grandma! <laughs> oh no, what, what's happened to the old man? Inch, worm, bite. Old man, are you still breathing? Oh. Inchworm bite. Like this one? Oh my, yes. Who might you be, young man? This is the one who's meant to share his life with me. We found him on ledge, ready to jump and shatter into bits. Like a piñata, but without candy. And we saved him and his metronome. Oh, that's a very nice metronome. It, it keeps her heart in time, if you know what I mean. Yes, I see what you're saying. Old man look very heavy. Perhaps you should put him down. All right. There, <laughs> that's better. <laughs> Someone should look at these 
bites. We should all go inside before the storm hits. Just then, the inchworm jumps from the grandma's hair. Ha-ha! There you are, you rascal. Hello there, lunch. Don't you bite my grandma, you pipsqueak. Fine, come closer and give me those skates and I'll let your grandma go. No, dear, you keep those skates. Stay away from miniature angel of death there. Very well, then. No, I'm already bitten, grandma. You aren't. All right, then. Come closer, Closer. Skater girl, be careful. Be careful. Shut up, fish. Here are my skates. Now let her go. Wait, what are you doing? Get off me. Ah, I forgot to mention you and the skates are a package deal. You bit me again, you greedy thing. Mmm, delicious. I love a little earlobe for lunch. Leave her alone. Oh, if I were mostly paralyzed. But you are. So all you can do is watch me devour her bit by bit. If only I had arms and legs. Skater girl, hurry. Hospital right here. Run. My eyes, they want to close. Grandma, Johan, where are you? Suddenly, some wheels roll quickly down the hall, and I feel like I am going right along for the ride. Wheels rolling quickly down the hall. Faces looking down at us. We close, we close our, our eyes. <laughs> and I kiss Johan again. Clear. <laughs> and I kiss her back. Clear. And then, and then the, the sound, sound of beeping. beeping. Oh, still breathing, are we? I'll finish you off, the lot of you. No. What are you doing? Let me go. Stop strangling me with your thread. Leave her, I said. Leave her. If I were you, boy, I would run. For after I finish off this cocoon of death, I'm coming after that metronome. Suddenly, a saw cuts through the air, and the cracking of timber, but smaller. But no tree lands on the forest floor. <laughs> Who's crying? <laughs> is, is that my mother? Looking down from my thready prison, I can see my bed floating as I try to breathe. People are crowded all around me. Get back. You're blocking my view. Let go of that. Grandma, <laughs> Johan, <laughs> Q, <laughs> Mom, can anyone hear me? I'm over here. Johan, help! They're, they're holding me down. Let go of that. It's just a matter of time now. A matter of time. And my heart went slower. And slower. Let go. Please let go of my metronome. Almost stopping. <laughs> Won't be long now. I hope she's okay. What about Johan? I mean, why were they holding him down? What did they take from him? Find out next time. Be sure to join us next time for the final episode of The Adventures of Skater Girl. You can find the previous episodes on our website or iTunes. 
That's where later this fall, you can find this podcast. Just look for Small Fish Radio Theater and Thespinarium. Or on our website, smallfishradio.com. And check us out on Facebook. Click the thumbs up and tell us you like us. Small Fish Radio Theater. Giving voice to small fish in the big pond if you're a small fish. Check out our submissions page. And do write something for us. Tonight's program has featured the talents of Kat Dean, Michael Herzovi, Joy Thrabjornson Coates, Eric Hetman, Max Everard, and Michael John Kelly. Directing and sound design by Trita Kakasik. Small Fish Radio would like to thank Chicago dramatists and Phil and Dale Dean for writing to Miss Macarons. We'd like to offer up special thanks to everyone who donated to our Feed the Fish campaign with a special shout-out to Angelfish Fred and Carol Schmidt and Lee Francis. Special thanks to Chicagoland Methodist Senior Services for providing us with rehearsal space and thanks to the musical talents of Ellie and Max Kikasek. Smallfish Radio Theater is produced by Michael John Kelly and Trina Kikasek. Good night, everybody. Thanks for coming. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.